0: Chapter 18 of Miranda by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 18. A few days before this, called by special messenger from Doctor Whitman, his four missionary associates had come from their distant stations to Waialatpu. Quiet men, good, true they were, with strong, courageous spirits and bodies toughened by toil and hardship. They had come out to this far land, away from home and friends, for no selfish motive, and their hearts were in their work. They were met now, as they supposed, to consider the necessities of their work and to consult on ways and means. Each one had builded his home with his own hands, tilled his land, planted fields of corn, wheat, potatoes and melons, taught his Indian neighbors to do the same, and was maintaining, with his wife, a school for Indian children in his neighborhood, in addition to preaching and ministering to the sick for miles around. Two of them came from one hundred and fifty miles away. They were men accustomed to the difficult trail and to the camp under the stars or stormy skies. They were expected each to bring his family expenses within three hundred dollars a year. They sometimes managed it within one hundred, for they knew the home board was poor. They had known, these missionaries, that there were matters of grave import, with relation to the mission, to consider, matters of which they had written to the American board for advice, and they supposed it was for this they were brought together. But when Dr. Whitman began to talk, instead, of political matters, their faces were grave and unsympathetic. Dr. Whitman began by laying before his colleagues a very clear statement of the way matters stood with regard to the Hudson Bay Company. He showed how they were scheming to get Oregon for England, and made plain what a disastrous thing this would be for the mission, as British sovereignty would mean rule by the Hudson Bay Company, whose chief desire it was to keep away men who would teach the Indians, that they might retain the fur trade, all to the company's advantage. He told them of the fault that had been found with the company's agent, Dr. John McLaughlin of Vancouver, because he had fed some starving American settlers. He made the whole thing plain, though each man already knew the main facts. And then he revealed to them that he proposed to go to Washington, tell these facts to the government, and try to get them to do something to save Oregon, and with Oregon the mission, of course." he had called them together to get their sanction and approval of his journey. There was solemn silence in the great log-room when he had done speaking, and the faces of the men were turned away from him. It was plain they were not deeply in sympathy with their enthusiastic colleague. At last one spoke timidly, as though feeling his way and with his eyes down." It seems very commendable that brother whitman should be willing to undertake this great journey to save the country and our mission i make a motion brethren that we give him our full approval and commendation as if the storm of disapproval had burst with the words of good brother spalding the others broke forth with dissuasion argument condemnation and reproof they told him how impossible the journey was at that time of year he would be throwing away his life and for what? They bade him think of his mission deserted, and what might happen to his wife and his work if he left them alone for the winter. They clamored of public opinion, and how it would be said he had deserted the Lord's work for earthly things. They refused absolutely to give their consent to his crazy scheme, and when he would not be turned from his purpose by all this, they told him in substance that they thought he was meddling in matters that were not his concern that he would better attend to his missionary duties and let politics alone then arose dr whitman from his place faced his brethren with determined mien and spoke i was a man first before i became a missionary he said and when i became a missionary i did not expatriate myself i shall go to the states if i have to sever my connection with the mission he brought up his strong firm hands that had built sawmills planted gardens tenderly cared for the sick been the stay and comfort of many a despairing weary one and dropped them forcibly again in a fine gesture that showed his mind was made up and nothing could turn it dismay suddenly filled the room and sat on every face the idea of the mission without Dr. Whitman was appalling. His withdrawal could not be entertained for a moment. At once the whole question was changed, and in a panic those who had been most opposed to his going on the perilous journey hastened to move that his endeavour be heartily approved. They besought him, however, to wait until the worst of the winter was over, but he would not listen to them the thing he had undertaken to do seemed well-nigh an impossibility a madness to attempt yet they could not stop him it was a ride of nearly three thousand miles that he proposed to take and would occupy three or four months at the shortest beginning with the first snows of the autumn and extending through the worst of the winter months he would have to carry supplies to last through the whole journey as well as provender for his horses and blankets to sleep in upon the frozen ground for there were no inns upon the way and there were indians wild beasts and snowstorms to be encountered yet the strong man wavered not while for two whole days they persuaded him others had taken the journey at a more favourable time of year with a large company of companions and a well-organized caravan of supplies and comforts and thought it hard enough at that he would have to go practically alone or with but one or two companions still he would go and with splendid courage his wife seconded him in his decision though it meant months of long weary separation and anxiety for her thus after the two days of conference consenting unanimously at last to what they could not prevent the missionaries went back to their stations immediately upon their going dr whitman set about his preparations for the journey two days later he took the hurried trip to walla walla to visit a patient in that region and also to make some quiet inquiries of mr mckinley of the hudson bay company concerning a northern boundary treaty which he had heard was about to be made what he learned there sent him hurrying on his way back without stopping to rest until he came to the trappers cabin in the clearing and found another man whose heart thrilled to the same patriotic tune as his own and who but for some secret shadow would have been ready to risk his life also in this great endeavor to save oregon as he rode on his faithful cayuse back toward the mission he did not spend his time in wondering what it could be that could prevent a fine clear-eyed fellow like that from going back to his home again he had been too long in that land without a past, and known men too well to judge a man by one act, as they have to be judged in the heart of civilization. He knew the man he had just met was in sympathy with his deepest desires, and he trusted him fully and respected his confidence. It was a pity that he could not have gone. The way would have been better for his company. There was nothing further to be said or thought." It is a great thing to trust a man so much that you can be loyal to him even in your thoughts. It was high noon before he came within sight of the mission, situated on a beautiful level peninsula formed by the branches of the Walla Walla River, nearly three hundred acres of land fenced in, and two hundred under cultivation, all now lying under its first fall blanket of whiteness. There at the left was the little adobe house, the first in which his wife and himself had lived when they came out to that country over the long toilsome trail and off at the right was the new log house sixty feet long and eighteen feet wide with an extension at the back making a great T cross back of that was the blacksmith shop and down by the riverside the flour mill all the work of this wonderful man's hands and the pride and love of his heart as he looked at it now in its setting of white with the blue ribbon of river twining it about and the dark of the woods beyond his heart suddenly failed him at the thought of leaving and the tears dimmed his kind tender far-seeing eyes down there in the whiteness was the tiny grave of their one little child who had been drowned in the river when scarcely more than a baby and in the house was his wife strong courageous loving and ready to speed him on his way in whatever enterprise he took he would have to leave it all and who knew whether he would ever see it again but dr whitman was not the man to spend time in thoughts like these just one instant he let the pang of his going tear through his heart the next he spurred his horse forward knowing there was no time to be lost his preparations were few and simple, and had been going steadily forward during his absence. Yet the news he had learned made it seem necessary to cut down even the two or three days more he had hoped to spend at home, and go at once, on the morrow if possible. The people of Dr. Whitman's household were not of the sort that demurred when he spoke the word, I must, one instant his wife stood aghast at the thought of his going so soon the next she had set her face to do everything in her power to make it possible and easy for him a message was sent at once to general lovejoy a young man who had come west that same summer and who had some time ago expressed the belief that it was entirely possible to go through the mountains at that time of year and promised to accompany dr whitman the mission was astir far into the night it was a bright clear morning when they started the mules stood ready with the supplies well strapped to their backs the horses saddled and lovejoy and the guide already in their saddles when dr whitman came out of the house all the indians who lived near by had come to see the party off and a few of the most devoted proposed to ride the first day's journey with them in the doorway stood mrs whitman with thirty or forty little indian children of the school grouped about her their good-byes had been said in the quiet of their own room these two who had left the whole world behind and come out west to do god's work together they understood one another perfectly and no selfish wishes were put in the way of the great purposes of their united lives each knew what a trial the succeeding months were to be to the other and each had accepted it. And now as the missionary stood forth to take his leave, his wife bore a bright, courageous smile. It was harder, perhaps, to stay behind than to go and fight storm, peril, wild beast, and wilder man, and the man knew that she bore the harder part. His own heart was bearing her grief as he turned with a wave of his hand to her, and sprang upon his fleet and faithful Cayuse. Tears unbidden sprang in his eyes as he looked at her, brave and smiling among the little children. They rode away into the crisp, invigorating morning, strong in hope and brave of heart. The courageous woman watched them out of sight, and then turned back to her long task of waiting. All day the men rode forward, a long journey, tethered their horses, built their fire, prepared supper, ate it, and slept soundly until dawn, then up and off again. Eleven days they rode, resting on the Sabbath, and reached Fort Hall, four hundred miles from their starting place, at the rate of forty miles a day. Their Indian friends had, of course, turned back, and there were only Whitman, Lovejoy, and the guide, with the pack-mules. But all along the way they had met Indians who forbade them to proceed dr whitman well knew by whose instructions they so acted but in his wise way he held parley with each band and succeeded in going on his way at fort hall captain grant informed him that the pawnees and sioux were at war and it would be death to go through their country even if he succeeded in getting through the snow in the mountains which was very deep he was advised to either turn back or wait till spring but he was not the man to do either. Calmly as a mother might have picked up another toy dropped by a peevish child, he adjusted his plans and added a thousand miles to his journey. Turning from the direct route he had intended to travel, he took the old Spanish trail for Santa Fe. Taking a new guide from Fort Hall, he pushed on across the northeast corner of Utah to Fort Uinta and the Uinta Mountains and now the way grew white with storm and the weather severe the snows were deep and blinding and greatly impeded their progress a weaker man would have seen the folly folly of his ways and turned back but dr whitman kept steadily on as if these things had all been part of his plans they changed guides at fort uinta continuing their journey across green river over to the valley of the grand into what is now the state of colorado at fort uncompagre they stopped for a brief rest made a few purchases changed guides then off again the trail led over the highlands among the irregular spurs of the rocky mountains and for four or five days more all went well steadily surely they were making their way toward the goal it was still a long way off but the start had been good and the missionary gave thanks then suddenly one day without warning the air grew white with storm about them the blinding snow fell with such rapidity and the wind blew with such violence that in a few minutes they were almost bewildered they were forced to seek shelter at once but though a ravine was not far away and they turned toward it instantly when the storm surrounded them they found great difficulty in reaching it and had to struggle through high drifts before they found it. In shelter at last, with hearts profoundly thankful, they cut cottonwood trees for the animals, made themselves as comfortable in camp as was possible under the circumstances, and sat down to wait while the terrific storm raged about them three or four days. Still whiteness all about, thick whiteness in the air, shut in from the world, they sat and waited the strong patient face of whitman showed no sign of what might be going on within that eager impatient soul of his off there in one direction through that whiteness was oregon beloved oregon his wife his home his mission all in peril off there through the whiteness in the other direction miles and miles more away was a government unawares toying with the possibility of possession and knowing not the treasure they were so lightly considering here was he willing and eager with the message sitting storm stayed in the whiteness held by ropes of feather in this mountain fastness while the nation perchance sold its rich birthright for a mess of pottage what did it all mean no hand of man had been able to stay him thus but it was the hand of god that was holding him now the soft white strong hand of god he sat patient submissive not understanding but waiting and looking up for a reason at last the storm subsided and the weather cleared off intensely cold cheerily though with difficulty the brave little party made its way again to the highlands but the snow was so deep and the wind so piercing that after a brief attempt they were forced back to camp to wait for several more days till a change of weather made it safe for them to venture forth again. At last the weather moderated, and thankfully they made their way up, but after they had wandered about for days hunting the trail, the guide at last came to a halt, a sullen look upon his dark countenance, and confessed he did not know where he was. He said the snow had so changed the whole look of the country that he could not get his bearings, and was completely lost he could take them no farther. This was, of course, a terrible blow to Dr. Whitman's hope, which had been rising steadily since the storm ceased. But, invincible as ever, he did not become downcast. Some men would have said that surely now they had done all that was possible, and would have felt thoroughly justified in turning back and trying to find comfort and safety, at least until spring. Not so this man, after thinking it over carefully and consulting with lovejoy they agreed that whitman should take the guide and try to get back to the fort for a new guide while lovejoy should remain in camp with the pack mules no small part had lovejoy now to play in the winter drama alone with the horses and a dog in his mountain camp with no idea whether whitman would ever be able to find the fort or not and even if he succeeded in getting back to the fort whether he would return and be able to find love-joy again it required faith and courage to stay alone with the animals and bear that week that whole long solemn silent week in the snowy world a precious week a wasted week it took to go back and return for the snow was very deep and going slow and uncertain but whitman braced his shoulder to the added burden kept his good cheer and at last the watcher in the mountains saw his companion returning. Then slowly, like a train of snails, the little party crept its difficult way through the snow again, on and on, over the mountains, until one fair morning they could sight the winding shore of the grand river. Joyfully they hastened forward, as fast as possible, counting every difficulty small now that they saw the river ahead. But when they reached the shore at last, despair descended upon them the river was from one hundred and fifty to two hundred yards wide and frozen a third of the way across on either side the current was so very rapid in the centre that even in that bitter weather it had been kept from freezing and what were they to do the guide said it would be most perilous to attempt to cross it looked as if another impossible barrier lay across their way but dr whitman was not stopping till he had to he led the little party out upon the ice as far as it was safe then mounted his brave cayuse and directed lovejoy and the guide to push him off the ice into the boiling foaming current which after much vain protest they finally did it seemed like casting whitman into a terrible grave and at first man and horse completely disappeared under water but soon came up unbaffled, master and beast appearing to be of one and the same spirit, and buffeted the waves magnificently, making their way gradually, although a long distance downstream, to the opposite shore, where the rider leaped from his horse upon the ice and soon had the faithful animal safely by his side. It was no easy task for Lovejoy and the guide to follow the example set, force the mules into the stream and then to take the perilous trip themselves but they did so people couldn't help doing big things when they were around dr whitman his presence in their midst required it for very shame they had in some measure to live up to the pattern set by the time they were all safely landed whitman had a good fire burning and soon they were cheerfully sitting around the blaze drying their frozen clothing one more peril passed and one less river between them and the goal. It was by this time the middle of January, and all over the country the cold was so bitter that many people even in protected towns were frozen to death. Out in the open the cold seemed to be like an iron grip that enfolded one, and slowly, relentlessly grew tighter and tighter. A black stillness seemed to settle upon everything, a vast and universal cold and fear that penetrated into the very soul on one of these terrible mornings as the doctor began his usual preparations for going on the guide shook his head and protested vigorously a blinding storm had come on through the night and the wind had made up for what moderation there was in the atmosphere traveling was sheer suicide that day but dr whitman had already lost too much time he laughed off fears and cheered the others with his hearty voice and so they set forth well muffled they were in a deep gorge of the mountains of new mexico and toiled on for a while in the blinding snow but when they reached the divide and the wind rushed up from a new direction the biting snow and cold almost drove the horses mad whitman saw his terrible mistake and turned at once to retrace his steps to camp Convinced that to go farther would be folly. This, however, was found to be impossible, for the driving snow had obliterated all trace of the way, and the whole country was deep and white and awful. The sky grew darker until it was almost as black as night, and the snow was falling so heavily that every step became more and more difficult. Then suddenly, hope seemed to vanish too and leave the world in absolute darkness the staunch missionaries saw that apparently the end had come they could not live for more than a few minutes longer in this fearful cold and to go on was as useless as it was impossible for they could not find their way anywhere with the feeling of utter failure he slipped from his saddle and stood beside his horse then bending his head he commended himself and his distant wife to the god in whom they both trusted and with the bitter thought that through his own folly the cause he was serving must be lost he gave himself up to wait for the white grave which was fast closing in about them suddenly the guide noticed the ears of one of the pack-mules and said that mule will find the camp if he can live to get to it in great excitement they mounted once more and followed the mule he kept on down the divide for a little way then made a square turn and plunged straight down the steep mountainside, over what seemed fearful precipices down down no one to urge him or guide him on he went just as if he knew what great things depended upon him at last he stopped short in the thick timber over a bare spot and looking down they saw there was still a brand or two of the fire they had left in the morning they were saved the guide was too far gone to dismount but the missionary slipped from his saddle and found that he had strength still left to build up the fire with profound thankfulness he went to work and soon had the rest of the party comfortable his own ability to withstand the cold was probably due to the heavy buffalo hides which he wore when the weather moderated once more and they were able to make their way out from camp dr whitman moved ahead cautiously not willing to let his own eagerness risk the safety of his whole enterprise again. One other narrow escape was theirs when they came to the headwaters of the Arkansas, after a day in a terrible storm, and found the ice upon the river too thin to bear a man erect, and every stick of wood in the vicinity over on the other side. Dr. Whitman, taking his axe in one hand, a short willow stick in the other, spread himself upon the ice, arms and legs as far apart as possible and thus crept across cut the wood shoved it over then returned creeping as before that night a wolf stole the hatchet for a leather thung that had been bound around the split helve and the rest of the journey the small comfort of an axe was denied them the way to fort taos was slow and painful for the snows were very deep and their provisions were growing less and less so that they were finally forced to kill and eat the mules when they reached the fort at last they had to stay a couple of weeks to rest bent's fort on the arkansas river was the next destination and their route led them through santa fe over a well-travelled trail which had the season been summer would have made it easier for them on the way however they met people who gave them word of a party about to leave bent's fort for st louis though there was very little likelihood of his being able to reach them before they left dr whitman on his best horse with a few provisions started on ahead of his party but was lost on the way so that lovejoy with the guide arrived at the fort ahead of him having sent a message to the st louis party camped forty miles ahead to wait until the doctor joined them Lovejoy went himself a hundred miles back to search for the lost missionary. Failing to find him, he returned to the fort and waited anxiously until the doctor came at last, worn and weary, and feeling that his bewilderment and loss of time were a just punishment for his traveling on a Sunday in order to make time, the only time in all the long, toilsome, hurried journey that the good man had traveled on the Sabbath. Lovejoy was worn out with the hardships, and it was decided that he should remain at Fort Bend until Whitman should return in the summer with a party of emigrants on his way back to Oregon. Dr. Whitman, invincible as ever, taking only one night's rest, pressed on alone to overtake the party of mountain men and go to St. Louis with them. Four hundred miles and more the trail led him, along the banks of the Arkansas, to Great Bend, across the country to smoky hill river down the kansas river till it joined the missouri and about the end of january he reached the little town of westport missouri his going was like that of a sower going forth to sow good seed for as he went wherever he met any one he told them of oregon how the way thither was open for wagons and women and children how he had come over that long trail in the winter snows just to tell them that it was possible, and that they were being deceived by the reports spread by the Hudson Bay Company, who wished to keep the Americans out of Oregon. Everywhere he found people who had intended going west, but had been stopped by these very false reports that the way was impassable. He told them to get ready to go with him when he should return. Everywhere he went, the reports of his story about Oregon went forth to all the country round about and the people were stirred to take their families and go out to claim land in this rich fertile country the enthusiasm spread like wildfire lovejoy in his resting-place was not idle either but continued to tell the good story urging all whom he met to go to oregon and save it for themselves and for their country it meant a great deal to them that the wonderful missionary who had so successfully crossed the mountains to tell them the story had promised to return and guide them to the promised land and so in his fantastic garb of buffalo coat with a blue border as he mockingly described his garments dr whitman went on his way to st louis in those days it was seldom that one came across the mountains in winter from santa fe or the columbia and they gathered around him and plied him with questions there were fur traders trappers adventurers and contractors for the military posts all eager to hear the news they wanted to know the prospects for furs and buffalo hides the next season but dr whitman had no time for such things he was in haste to get to washington he wanted to know if the Ashburton Treaty was concluded, and when he found it had been signed by Webster and Ashburton the summer before, he demanded to know if it covered the Northwest and how it affected Oregon. He asked if Oregon had been under discussion in Congress, and what was being urged about it in the Senate and House. The great question with him was, could he reach Washington before Congress adjourned on the 4th of March? Leaving his horse, he took the stage at once, and one day in the last of February he walked into the home of a minister friend in Ithaca, New York, a friend who had once crossed the mountains with him. Parker, he said, the first surprise of greetings being over, I have come on a very important errand. We must go at once to Washington, or Oregon is lost, ceded to the English. But the friend was not so easy to persuade, and thought the danger less than dr whitman said so alone the courageous spirit hurried to washington suffering still from his frost-bitten fingers feet nose and ears lacking the sympathy and enthusiasm of even his dearest friends worn and weary yet undaunted he pressed on to complete his task arriving in washington on the third of march he went at once to interview daniel webster the secretary of state to endeavor to convince him that Oregon was worth saving for America. End of chapter 18.